that you're born an Italian if you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. From the moment you're a small bambino, you eat pizza, you drink vino. Then they make you roly-poly. You get stuffed with ravioli. If your mama's a paisano, you will have the world on a plate. So see that you're born in Italiano and your life will be great. Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, and today we are beginning the second half of our limited series, Conversations on Columbus. For those of you who've been following the series, we're already three episodes in, and now we've got three more to go to lead us right up to October 12th, which will be Columbus Day, and a good time to finish this in-depth dive into Columbus, his legacy, his holiday, and his relationship to the Italian-American community, and frankly, where it's going in the future. I'm really happy to report that so far this series has gotten a lot of good feedback. We've been First and foremost, getting some great responses from you, our listeners. Our audience has been with us for a long time, but also from those that we didn't expect. This has been pretty well received, even out there in academia and uh, in popular media. So we're going to be doing some interviews with other sources and other platforms that are a little bit more mainstream than our own. So you'll be able to hear us discussing this topic with a little bit wider of an audience and uh, on some very diverse platforms. So As those agreements are made, I will make sure we're announcing them through our social media so you can follow everywhere that we're being invited to continue this important conversation. So before we start this week's episode and the second half of our series, I kind of want to go over what we've done in the first half of our series, which, as it goes without saying, is always available in our archive, which is available at ItalianAmericanPodcast.com. And we're going to try to put these together in their own little page. So for those of you who haven't been following along, it's easier to find them in sequential order so you can kind of listen to the whole series because sometimes we hop around with different episodes in between and might forget what we've been discussing so I want to make it as easy as possible for people to access everything that we're talking about the the good the bad and the ugly because if we're really going to search for objectivity we've got to have everything represented so just to bring you back quickly to what has brought us to this point the first episode laid out an introduction of what we were trying to accomplish. The idea that this conversation was really spurred on by a lot of listeners' letters, a lot of feedback, people asking us to kind of step into this heightening conversation around Columbus, Columbus Day, his legacy, what it meant. And for me, it was a big challenge because I've spent a lot of my career as a professional Italian-American, uh, as I always say. And over those 10-plus years, this conversation has become more and more and more important and frankly more and more complicated. So for me, if I was going to step back into this pool, I wanted to make sure that when I did, it was with objectivity and truth as really the goal of everything. I'm not here to prove Columbus is good, Columbus is bad, we should celebrate Columbus Day, we should not celebrate Columbus Day. All I want to do is kind of understand as much as we can based on fact. That's the most important thing to me. In our second episode, really inspired by that quest, We sought to understand what's available in terms of primary source material. What can we actually know about Columbus that's not been given to us or disseminated to us by historians generations after his existence who may or may not have their own agendas uh, tied to their interpretation of Columbus or the facts that they choose to share or the way they choose to interpret primary and secondary source material. So that was a big thing for me because 
in all the research that I was doing, I was finding that there were a lot of different historians, authors, intellectuals, pundits using different translations or different interpretations of the same quotes that come from Columbus's diaries or the materials written by uh, contemporaries of his. And so for me, I wanted to sort of wade through that jungle of interpretation and try to get as close as we could to fact. And I hope we did a decent job of that in our second episode. In our third episode, we heard the major accusations that Columbus's detractors have laid out against him. And now over the next three weeks, we'll try to take you through the final steps. This week, before we seek out what Columbus's defenders are saying in response to those critics, I need to just sort of stop and sort of step off on a little tangent. Because the nature of our show, let's not forget, and the reason that we began down this path in the first place is because we look at issues from an Italian-American perspective. We are the Italian-American podcast, and frankly, there's so much interesting stuff going on in the world, so much important stuff going on in the world, that we don't even begin to cover because it's really not in the mission of our show. But Columbus, it's a big part of the Italian-American identity after all of these years, the holiday, the relationship, the monuments. And so what I want us to do in this episode is really re-examine Columbus's long and complex relationship with the Italian-American community, because to me, when we go on to examine the defense of Columbus in the fifth episode, and finally, when I kind of sort through and summarize and share the conclusions that I may or may not have drawn from this experience in the sixth episode, I want to make sure to be very clear that throughout this process, I really have found that I've reacted differently from an Italian-American perspective than maybe I do from simply an American perspective. And what Columbus means to Italian America is kind of different than what Columbus means to America as a whole. And how he's been utilized by America the nation is far different than how he's been utilized by Italian America. And I want to make that very clear because one of the conclusions that I think it's safe to say I am coming to is Columbus has been utilized, in some sense co-opted, by different communities in different eras for different purposes in many different ways in the 530 years since his really world-changing voyage. And so what I intend to explore in this fourth episode is the idea that Columbus Day, by default, after all these years, means different things to Italian-Americans than it does to other Americans. And I need, and we all need, to understand why that is, how this all came to be, and what Italian-Americans, both for and against Columbus, are saying, feeling, and doing to address this very complicated relationship that our community has developed with this unique historical figure. So to do that, I want to cover kind of a few different things. As those of you who are longtime listeners might remember, last year we did do two episodes talking about Columbus. Uh, They're available in our archive, as all our episodes are. In episode 112, titled When Did Columbus Become an Italian-American, we tried to have an honest exploration of the long history of Columbus Day as a holiday for all Americans, and then how it became a de facto Italian-American holiday. And also how Columbus Day ties into greater movements, greater moments, uh, events, and the like within Italian-American history. Because we've had a lot of conversation about Columbus Day as it relates to the 1891 lynchings and as it relates to Italian-Americans being interred during the Second World War. And some of these things have become their own kind of mythology in our community. And frankly, I feel like in many ways I've fallen victim to the same thing, which is tying events that that are related, but a little bit more closely perhaps uh, than they they should be. And so I want to kind of detangle all that. And in order to do that, 
I wanted to bring some scholars in to be part of the conversation and expand it out past the one we had last year. And so today we're going to spend a little bit of time hearing from Professor Bill Connell of Seton Hall University, co-editor of the Rutledge History of Italian Americans, and my good friend, who you heard uh, a few clips from in some of these earlier episodes. And Professor Connell is really kind of an expert on the celebration of Columbus, his relation to American identity, the holiday, the statues, and things like that. And he's got a lot of interesting information and insight to share with us. So we're going to hear from him first. And it's fair to say that, no surprise when we're talking about Columbus, the relationship between our community and Columbus Day is an incredibly complex one. There are a lot of myths and misunderstandings about Columbus Day as it relates to Italian America and around the intentions behind it. And one of the things that I'm starting to see, and I think we'll tease out here, is that there's a big gap between the de jure, or, or by law, legal status of the holiday, and its de facto, or by fact, status as an Italian-American day. So I want to make sure that people really understand what it means when we talk about this holiday, because we have to understand it from a local level, a state level, and finally, most importantly, a federal level, because it's a federal holiday, and no other holiday that has sort of become a de facto ethnic holiday shares that status, unless we relegate Martin Luther King Day to an ethnic holiday for African Americans, and I don't think that's really fair. So this distinction is a really important one because what we hear from people is this idea that we can somehow advocate at a federal level to just change the holiday to Italian-American Day at a federal level. That's impossible, Uh, and and we'll get to kind of why. I mean, nothing's impossible with the U.S. government, particularly these days, but uh, I think it's safe to say that's highly, highly unlikely, and we'll kind of understand why that is as we get through this conversation. And then we're also going to bring back another voice that we've heard from in prior episodes. Uh, that's Professor Steve Cerulli of Hostess College and the Calandra Institute, who has led a very vocal and local movement in his hometown of Stanford, Connecticut, to rename Columbus Day after a local Italian-American figure. And Professor Cerulli thinks this is a recipe that should and could be adopted by Italian-American communities throughout the nation to sort of localize their celebration of an Italian-American day. And again, I think this ties into the idea of, well, what's a federal holiday versus what's a local holiday and celebration and all these kind of things that we need to unpack. So we're going to spend some time with him digging into the feelings behind this movement for a more localized celebration of Italian-American identity. And we'll hear from some of the other scholars that we've spoken to in the past with their opinions on how we as a community celebrate. Because I think we can't really further the conversation about Columbus objectively until we see what the Italian-American lenses that we wear are. We kind of have to identify the Italian-American biases to how we look at things and try as hard as we can to remove them for a little bit to look at Columbus objectively, those who are against Columbus and those who are for Columbus. So if we're going to start from the beginning, there's really nobody better than Professor Connell to walk us through just how Columbus became a figure of heroism in the United States, in the early United States, as we pointed out over the course of these shows, and what it was about his story that became intertwined with the American story, particularly in an era long before the mass migrations of Italian-Americans between the 1870s, 80s, and into the 1920s. So let's let Professor Connell take us through the early phase of Columbus's role as an American figure, uh, starting from the earliest days of the Republic in 1792. Well, the holiday begins in 1792. There's a celebration, and the name Columbia had already been used, uh, I think, in the 1730s or 40s in New England by writers 
who uh, thought it was an, a poetic name, a synonym, as it were, for America. Plus, he was not British, so there's a sense of him belonging to the world because he wasn't Spanish either. And uh, Columbus really takes off as, as a hero for the early republic. Uh, it, it, and you have, uh, I think, the first parade on Columbus Day is in uh, San Francisco, about 1869. And by then you have uh, small Italian communities celebrating it, especially uh, in New York. Uh, there are the, the Sharpshooters League uh, that becomes later the Tiro Asenio. And in San Francisco, there are the Italians that adopt it as a, a kind of important thing. The Columbus Citizens Foundation, I believe, goes back to the 19th century, uh, although it'll get reorganized around 1910, I think. So there is an Italian role, let's say, in celebrating Columbus. Uh, and it begins just before the age of the Great Migration, which really starts in the 1870s and is often a major way by 1880, uh, continuing down to 1924. Uh, so uh, got a, a small Italian role in something, though, that the, the country celebrates. In the 1880s, the Knights of Columbus are founded by Irish Americans, and that's a, a Catholic organization. And one of the interesting things was this is a country in those years where fraternal societies mattered a great deal. And particularly important was the fact that there was a papal prohibition on belonging to Masonic secret societies. So uh, what this Irish priest McGilvey does in New Haven is establish a uh, Catholic society that claims itself a mutual benefit society selling insurance, uh, which was permitted by the church. And he also insisted that there be rituals, orders, like degrees, masons, uh, uh, particular uniforms that allowed this to become, as it were, a Catholic society in parallel with uh, the Masonic orders and the Knights of Pythias, the Odd Fellows. And, and it, there was in the 80s and 90s, a movement led by a French priest uh, to actually canonize Columbus uh, because uh, he brought Christianity to the world. So a very positive view of the man. And it helps to understand part of the positive view uh, the fact that this was a, a seafaring society. The United States was a maritime nation. We didn't have air travel. Uh, steamships meant that more people could cross the ocean. And uh, the fiction of those days, Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, Herman Melville, it's all about sailing. And so the big emphasis on Columbus was not uh, his terrible work as, as governor on his Noah, but instead his really brilliant wages of discovery. Uh, his ability to rescue his men from uh, a shipwreck in the United States in the 1880s, 1890s, that was, that was all part of his grand figure. So here we see a couple of themes that I think are really important when we discuss Columbus Day from an American perspective. And we take our Italian-American lenses off and look at this holiday and what it means for everybody in the country. We're talking about the idea of him not being British, a, a perfect figure really kind of exists without a nationality. He's not a British figure like all of the historical figures that we had clung to when we were still part of the British colonial empire. He's not Spanish, even though he sailed for Spain and represents in many ways 
their footprint in the new world more than any. And he's not really Italian because there is no concept of a greater Italy in the late 1700s. We don't really see this concept of a united Italy, a risorgimento, a return to a united Italian peninsula until really after the Napoleonic Wars, which are going to come within a few decades. And another really important factor that Professor Connell's talking about here is Columbus's role as a Catholic figure. And as he describes the Irish Catholic community, which was really the first significant number of Catholics to arrive in this country and faced a ton of discrimination and really were seen as a a great disruption to the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mainstream. They cling to this figure of Columbus when they need him, when they need him as a shield and and a spearhead into greater society. So they can't participate in Masonic lodges like the mainstream Americans can, but they can participate here in this idea of the Knights of Columbus. And the reason I think this is so important is because here... In this episode, we're sort of studying Columbus the figure, Columbus the symbol. It's important that we remember that the last time Columbus faced a concerted effort to pull him out of the pantheon of American history was during the rise and rebirth of the Ku Klux Klan in these 1890s, uh, early 1900s. Because for them, the swelling Catholic hordes of immigrants, be they Irish, German Catholics, uh, eventually Italian Catholics, whatever you like, Catholics of all types are seen as a substantial threat to the American popular culture, to American values and society. Anti-Catholicism is deeply seeded in the early days of the United States and even in the post-Civil War period. So here we see another trend where Columbus becomes the negative symbol of something that a group doesn't like. In this case, nativists don't like the newly arriving Catholic community here in the United States. And so I think I'm starting to see, as I study deeper and deeper, this idea recurring that Columbus is built up or torn down by communities that need him to be a figure of what they love or what they loathe. And the interesting thing is, as Professor Connell points out, because he is this Genoese sailing for Spain uh, at the root of a British colonial project, which will eventually become the American experiment, he doesn't have any discernible attachment to any of these groups, or he has multiple identities that can be worn. So in some ways, Columbus is the perfect hero and villain whenever he needs to be, because you can cast him in many different lights. And so the question becomes, as we return to the Italian-American perspective, if Italian-Americans early on in their history in this country, in these small communities, as Professor Connell points out, are certainly celebrating Columbus Day, When is it that our community becomes the community most closely associated with Christopher Columbus and Columbus Day? And too many, on both sides of the argument, they would say that's 1892, which around the world is the 400th anniversary celebration of Columbus's voyage. But here in the United States takes on a different and more Italian-American perspective in light of the fact that only a year earlier in 1891, 11 Sicilians are summarily lynched in New Orleans after being cleared of uh, the crime of killing the police chief of New Orleans. So this is a fundamental shift in Columbus as he relates to Italian America, and one that I think oftentimes gets thrown around and misused. So here's Professor Connell to try to help us clear up exactly what that lynching means to Columbus Day emotionally, but also more importantly, officially. In uh, 1891, you've got two episodes that I think are particularly important that are kind of in the background of 
Columbus. There, there was planning already for a huge 1892 World's Fair exposition. Uh, that, that something had to be done like that. The Italian Americans in New York, by I think it's 1889, uh, under Carlo Barsotti, decide to uh, to put a monument in Manhattan uh, as a way of establishing their presence and legitimating it through Columbus because there was significant anti-Italian prejudice. And they did it in a, in a responsible way. I mean, they, they raised money from uh, small businessmen in Little Italy, not a few big donations, but lots of small donations. They created a, a committee that wrote to King Humbert in Italy and asked him to appoint a committee of art experts who would judge the, uh, the quality of, of, of the work. So it's, it's Italian uh, scholars, uh, authoritative people in the arts uh, who chose the, uh, the, the design of the monument that they would build at Columbus Circle. And they had a competition. They chose a sculptor. They got Carrara Marble. Uh, and while that's going up, you have uh, what's probably the worst episode of anti-Italian prejudice in the United States uh, in New Orleans, the lynching of uh, 11 Italian-Americans who had been either acquitted or um, uh, they had, uh, uh, the case had been um, uh, postponed uh, in, uh, in New Orleans, and they were lynched by a mob down there, used to being mafiosi, uh, when really they had just been rounded up at random. Italian neighborhood in New Orleans. So um, uh, that happened. Uh, and so there's worry in New York uh, about this. And this provides actually further impetus for raising the money, establishing we are okay, we're good Americans, uh, we're contributing to society by building this monument that's going to become an ornament. Uh, the city itself was somewhat reluctant. The Parks Commission tried to get the Italians to uh, except uh, citing the statue up in East Harlem on uh, 115th Street, but they insisted. Barsati pushed and pushed and pushed, and they got the more prominent place, the bottom of Central Park. So that's going on. Uh, another episode that I, I point out because it's ironic that you have Native Americans and Italian Americans fighting over uh, over Columbus. Uh, ironic in the sense that uh, the two groups have uh, have had very little contact physically and historically, which is one of the reasons it's hard to make peace between them. But uh, New Orleans episode took place on the watch of President Benjamin Harrison. Uh, and he as a, a sort of, he's an underrated one-termer in American history. Uh, he appointed a commission of inquiry for New Orleans and he had to pay, uh, he paid reparations to the, United, to the Italian government for the death of the citizens. He was denounced as an attempt to impeach him for a these senators talking about impeaching him for paying those reparations. Uh, and meanwhile, in the Italian parliament, they were talking about declaring war in the United States. Uh, at that point, the Italian Navy was larger than the American Navy. So it's an interesting question. But this was a time of, of uh, uh, you have the Wounded Knee Massacre where, where Benjamin Harrison also appoints a commission, uh, but uh, instead the, uh, the officers are granted the Medal of Honor. Congress grants them the Congressional Medal of Honor. The Congress didn't like Native Americans. Uh, they've been fighting Native Americans for years. Uh, and uh, Congress didn't like Italians. Um, 
Uh, there's a lot of xenophobia, nativism in the US, uh, anti-immigrant prejudice. Uh, and Harrison thinks that instead what's needed is a holiday to bring everybody together. Of course, he was opposed to this violence. He's always assigning these commissions to look into things that get nowhere. Um, but he realizes that, that there's so much that good that's happening. We now have a network of railroads coast to coast, not just one line, but lots of railroads. We've got transatlantic steamships. We've got an, an underground telegraph cable. The continent is, is now closed. It's, it's in a way the United States frontier is ending. It's time, uh, he thought, to celebrate all the people, celebrating not, not the end of the Civil War, not Memorial Day, not the Revolutionary War and the Declaration of Independence, but something that would bring everybody together celebrating the land. Uh, and so he declares a Columbus Day holiday that will be a national holiday involving particularly the schools, because one of the things he wanted to celebrate was public education. And so there are parades throughout the country. The New York parade got a lot of attention. Uh, and so, so the descriptions of it are terrific. You have public school kids, parochial school kids, Hebrew school kids, uh, the Carlisle Indian School marching, and the Dante Alighieri Italians uh, all marching in this, in this parade, uh, celebrating the country, really, and Columbus. And there's this understanding that October 12th is when it all began. That's when this all started. So here we see Professor Connell kind of debunk one of the myths around Italian-American attachment to Columbus Day that I've always wrestled with and really tried to understand and bring into conversation. The idea that somehow Columbus Day begins as a holiday in 1892 in response to the lynching in New Orleans of 11 innocent Sicilians. I think for many Italian-Americans, it's sort of a misunderstanding. Clearly, President Harrison's dedication to this holiday and re-engaging an older holiday of Columbus Day in a new way is affected by and impacted by the lynching in New Orleans, but it's not the cause for or the source of the holiday. And when we talk as Italian-Americans about the idea of taking away a holiday for us, I find sometimes this confusion becomes a dangerous ground to tread because many Italian-Americans are under the impression that the holiday was created because of this event. And if that was the case, I think there would be a whole different cadre of arguments around what Columbus Day means and how it gets treated in the National Pantheon of Holidays. And I want to make sure that if we are appealing based on emotion, it's got fact underneath it. And so while this event does give a new secondary meaning to Columbus Day in light of the lynchings, it's not the first cause for the holiday being celebrated throughout the United States. But at the same time, in my opinion, if we take off our Italian-American lens, the actual reason that this holiday was such a focus of President Harrison and a focus for so many different groups is, is really a beautiful one. The idea that here on the calendar is, for the first time, a holiday that's not inspired by the few families who came over here and founded this country and this experiment it's not tied directly to white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mainstream culture, but is really a celebration of the bridging of these two worlds, the bridging of these two cultures, and with the intention of celebrating everybody that's here, from the Native Americans that were here from the very beginning to the newest immigrant. And whether or not we've been able to accomplish that over the years 
I think there's something really beautiful about the intention that Harrison had for this celebration. And I love when Professor Connell describes, both here and in his writing, the idea of this parade with all different kinds of American ethnic groups and schools and celebrating public school and the availability of public education to American youth for the first time. I think so much of this is actually very progressive. And as we'll see in our further conversation, what sets out to be a holiday that is very enlightened in its approach to America of all peoples, an America that embraces and helps to build up the marginalized within our society, over the years is going to devolve in some way into a holiday that celebrates just one ethnic group. And while I'm very proud to be part of that ethnic group and very proud of the accomplishments of Italian Americans throughout history and throughout the country, I almost have a sense of sadness of what could have been for a holiday that really followed those intentions for bringing people together and celebrating this beautiful mosaic that is America. Whether or not that actually could have happened, particularly in those years, maybe you have to be looking through rose-colored spectacles to believe it, but I love the idea that somewhere at the root of the tree of this holiday and Christopher Columbus's popular image is this wonderful goal of appreciating and celebrating America's diversity. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, before we continue on with the evolution of Columbus Day into an Italian-American holiday, I just want to take an aside because, as I mentioned, we're going to speak to Professor Stephen Cerulli in a little bit to talk about the modern reaction to Columbus Day by a segment of the population that, as Italian-Americans, feels we should move away from the holiday. But before we get there, there is something in my conversation with Stephen that I thought was really, really important to plug in here, which is his assertion that the story that Professor Connell tells about the Italian-Americans in the 1890s rallying around Columbus, rallying around the holiday, rallying around the statue, is actually one which he would argue might be a little bit hagiographical, that perhaps we are making a romanticized version of this, because he and other scholars maintain that in reality it was actually a small segment of the Italian-American population that they have come to call prominenti, who were the focus and force behind bringing Italian-Americans to the fore in terms of celebrating this holiday and Italianizing it. They would argue that there was a portion of the population, those who they call the subversivi, the subversive, were actually anti-Columbus and were being coaxed by the elites of the Italian-American community into creating a holiday and a hero that would sit well with the American mainstream, that would give us access to white Anglo-Saxon Protestant popular consciousness. Let me just say for the record, I'm well aware that there was definitely writing and popular conversation within the Italian-American community that was not pro-Columbus during those years. This was not a one-size-fits-all mythology. And there's certainly part of me that agrees that Columbus was clearly a spearhead of our own into popular mainstream culture. I don't really know if I would mask it in the same class struggle terminology that these academics have brought to the conversation. But I think it's a really important conversation to have because I don't want people to think that Columbus was simply popularly acclaimed as the Italian-American patron saint. So I wanted to make sure that we brought 
Professor Cerulli's commentary into our conversation. But we already saw like in the late 1880s, Italian Americans were already kind of latching onto that figure. Um, a new, a really excellent essay just came out by Joshua and Laura Roberto looking at the kind of origins of Columbus's linking with Italian Americans through people like Carlo Bersotti and Angelo Noce and how in the already in the 1880s, they're kind of latching onto this figure to legitimize the Italian diaspora in the eyes of the white Anglo-Saxon elite in America. They were called prominenti, which means prominence. And the two figures they look at, interestingly enough, were from Northern Italy, Genoa and Luca. And these prominentes view themselves as the kind of unofficial leaders of the Italian-American community. And part of this kind of project they have, this kind of grand project of Italian-Americana. So for instance, uh, Verasotti in New York builds monuments to Dante, Giuseppe Garibaldi, and he's the one that does the monument to Columbus and Columbus Park. He was the founder of Il Progresso Italo-Americano. So they kind of view themselves as a leadership and they want to construct narratives around Italian-Americans because Italian-Americans face racial prejudices and discriminations because during this time, there's this concept of race science. And interestingly enough, these prejudices are actually rooted in Italy and they kind of racialize the Southern Italians as inferior and the mass of the migration is Southern Italians. So this kind of race science is also received positively in a, in a negative sense for us as, as Italians, but in a positive sense for the American Anglo-Saxon elite where you know, Italians are still white, but they're viewed as like an inferior white. So you have these prominenti trying to legitimize Italians as part of this like Western civilization, right? This is a time when imperialism was quite common. We should try to link it to these larger pictures as well. And one of the justifications of imperialism was bringing civilization to lesser races and lesser colors globally. So all these things are kind of linked. And I argue it's part of this kind of settler colonial project. So settler colonialism is basically like American Argentina are great examples of this, where indigenous populations of a geographical location are wiped out and they're replaced with settlers. They don't necessarily have to be European, but in the case of America, they were European. So what we see with Columbus is the Italian-American leadership trying to weave themselves in that settler colonial narrative. And part of that narrative also includes the erasure of indigenous cultures and replacing it with a homogenous culture, whatever that may be. In the case of America, it's kind of this new world whiteness, right? And Columbus is a great symbol of that, where he symbolizes the new world, but he's also part of the largest, you know, the larger picture of Western civilization, as it would, you know, this great discoverer, this great explorer, et cetera, et cetera. But there's two segments of the Italian-American population in opposition, I would say, from the 1880s to about World War II. Um, but they really start to die out in the 1920s. It's the Prominenti in the Silver Sea. And we see throughout the early kind of years, say the first 60 years, the first 50 years of Italian Americana, of Italian Americans, we see the Silver Sea opposing the Columbus narrative. We see in the 1890s, there's some anarchists out in Patterson, New Jersey. And then in the 1920s and 1930s, we see anti-fascists oppose Columbus and argue that it's a fascist symbol. So again, I don't really disagree with Professor Cerulli's idea that there was a portion of the population of Italian America that saw and utilized Columbus as an entree into American popular consciousness, into the mainstream. And there was certainly a segment of the population that saw Columbus from the very get-go as a troublesome figure in Italian American history or in American history in general. But I think for me, the idea of this conversation that gets lost when we class Italian Americans into these two camps is the great silent majority in the middle, who I would assume had far greater things to worry about 
frankly, than what kind of heroes we had and what kind of monuments we put up. And in my mind, at least, saw the opportunity to celebrate their heritage as a welcome reprieve from the anti-Italian sentiment that was so popular in that era, but didn't think in terms of getting into the mainstream or participating in anything like settler colonialism. I think for people, a chance to look up to another Italian in an era when Italians were so downtrodden, I think it was just a reprieve and a relief. But frankly, we can never know what the mass of people was thinking and feeling. And so that's just my subjective assumptions around what Italian-Americans were feeling at that time. But what I certainly take from this is the idea that from the very beginning, there's been complications around our relationship with Christopher Columbus, both ideological complications and complications around the details of exactly how he is tied to us, as I say in the beginning of this episode, both in a de facto sense and in a de jure sense. And we also have to remember that the idea of an ethnic holiday in America is is really new at this point, and, and frankly, not one that we have any kind of real recipe for or guidebook to. Every case is so unique. I mean, think about the Irish having St. Patrick's Day, which is a holiday that they've had as a unitary culture for so long. If you look at the German holiday of von Steuben Day, it's only created in 1957 by German-Americans looking to preserve their culture. The Puerto Rican Day Parade, which replaces Hispanic Day, only comes to be in 1958. So, This is a new concept, one that's really not in the popular American consciousness in the 1890s and even really into the second half of the 20th century. And on top of that, let's not forget that during these years, there is barely a sense of Italianness in Italy, let alone here in Italian America as it's growing and forming. There's so much regional identity, and the idea of celebrating a hometown patron saint makes a lot more sense to the people on the ground than the idea of a nationwide holiday to celebrate this nebulous concept of Italian-Americans. The regional identity is so much stronger back then, and Italy really has not formed its national holidays to any great devotion by this point. I mean, the holidays that existed before World War II, March 17th to commemorate the unification of Italy, these sort of secular political holidays are nowhere near as important as the patron saint days or the assumption on August 15th and things like that. So we have to really be in the mindset of what an Italian-American identified with back then when a regional holiday and a regional patron saint day was far more important than anything around celebrating a unified Italian-Americanism. So now I want to turn back to Professor Connell to continue along the narrative of how we become the community most closely associated with and most deeply tied to Christopher Columbus, how we Italian-Americans, despite the fact that this idea of an ethnic holiday really didn't exist in American consciousness, we sort of end up with one. It was not considered a specifically Italian holiday. It was instead a national holiday. One of the problems uh, over the years, uh, one of the reasons that Columbus holiday is in crisis today is because there's been a shift from it being a national holiday to it being considered a strictly ethnic holiday. Uh, and why that happened, it partly has to do with sort of rivalries between the Irish and the Italians in New York City over Fifth Avenue parades. Uh, it also has to do with, um, I think an important element was the um, loss of the Hispanic element. Uh, in 1892, the government, government of Spain 
sent over a beautiful bronze statue uh, that's in Central Park that has had red paint uh, spilled on it a few times. And Columbus was seen as, as a hero in the Hispanic population in the United States for, for decades. But uh, the Hispanic participation in the parade and the holiday uh, really fades in the 1970s. And in part, it's, the thing is, in the 70s, you have Italian-Americans feeling pressure. Uh, you've got white flight to the suburbs. And uh, there's a, a, a kind of circling of the wagons uh, and defensiveness about the holiday that results in it becoming more strictly Italian-American. And so that's one of the reasons it has lost some of the consensus behind it. So what's most interesting to me is that we Italian-Americans are in a really unprecedented position here. Alone among the ethnic holidays, we have one that has become Italian-American, but existed for generations before our American story really began in earnest, and, as we can see, started as a much different celebration. So if people were protesting Von Steuben Day or Puerto Rican Day, those communities could address the issue on their own. But we're in a tough spot, because, quote-unquote, our day is actually not ours at all. So we're kind of like the tenants in a long-term rental that are being told that the house needs renovation. Even if we could agree we want to renovate the house, the decision, and ultimately the responsibility, is the landlord's. And in this case, with the federal holiday, unfortunately that landlord is the U.S. Congress. Because Columbus Day ultimately becomes a federal holiday in 1934, and under the Uniform Monday Holidays Act of 1968, which took effect in 1971, the second Monday of October is declared Columbus Day across the nation. But in the actual text of that act, there's no mention of Italian-Americans whatsoever. But the act is interpreted as designating federal holidays, which states and or municipalities can then celebrate as they wish. So on a local level, we Italian-Americans actually can influence how our quote-unquote holiday is celebrated, no matter what the federal day is called. Now let me rewind the clock for just a minute here, and I want to share with you some insight into my personal experience with Columbus Day as a professional Italian-American. In 2015, when I was the president of the National Italian-American Foundation, I had this idea, as the conversation around Columbus continued to escalate, to host a community-wide forum at our annual gala weekend in Washington. We had created what I thought was an unprecedented and really important partnership with the Italian-American Studies Association to have their annual event and our annual event on the same weekend in the same space. And I thought it would be a great opportunity having all of these academics from the Italian Studies programs, all of our membership from across the country in the same space to just kind of have an open community forum where we really tried to figure out what was the consensus if it existed on Christopher Columbus, where was our community's temperature, and how would we move forward, either in defense of the holiday evolving the holiday, or was it an issue that didn't matter to the majority of Italian-Americans? And I, I was very hopeful for the idea that we could kind of close the doors as a community and discuss something that was sensitive, but obviously important. And unfortunately, as is wont to happen in Italian-American conversations, it kind of devolved into a screaming match pretty quickly, and both sides got very heated. We had a lot of uh, real tension. Some people walked out. I was certainly left with some egg on my face. But in the weeks and months that followed, I started to really think about this idea that as an Italian-American community leader, I had to look at Columbus and Columbus Day from two perspectives, like we've been talking about. The American perspective and what's good for the nation, and the Italian-American perspective, and frankly, be a little bit ethnocentric and look at what's good for our community. 
uh, in 2016, as part of our NIAF blog at the time, I wrote an article where I talked about how I felt that if we couldn't come to a consensus, we were going to kind of be a community that was the baby thrown out with the bathwater. And I wanted to make the point that Italian-Americans could certainly make a case to defend Columbus. But if we were not going to do that as an entire community, if we were not going to find consensus there, what I wanted to prevent was the de facto Italian-American day disappearing from calendars. So I just want to quote from that blog for a second so you could hear exactly what I was trying to say. As part of a greater article, I wrote, I think that the Italian-American community and our leadership around the nation need to be fighting to make sure that those municipalities that feel uncomfortable with the celebration of Columbus's legacy have only one option for replacement of Columbus Day, and that should be Italian-American Heritage Day. Now, perhaps I should have been clearer. Perhaps I should have pointed out that what I was trying to say was that if a city had already decided to abandon the celebration of Columbus Day and in all likelihood had replaced it with Indigenous Peoples Day, I felt that we needed to advocate for that day to be changed back into an Italian-American day without the mention of Columbus. I was not saying that we as a community should abandon Columbus altogether, but what I was saying is this whole conversation and dynamic is really two phases. In the first phase, if we decide we want to defend Columbus as the group most closely associated with him, that's okay. But if that does not work, we need to then put on our Italian-American ethnocentric hat and look at the fact that when Columbus Day is lost so too is Italian-American Heritage Day. The two are intertwined by history, by circumstance, by tradition, but not legally. So we kind of had two bites at the apple in this battle to preserve a day that has become about Italian-Americans. And while I clearly could have said it better and with more detail, I was ill-prepared for the amount of vitriol that I was going to receive from both sides of the argument because there are those who believe Columbus should be abandoned that thought I was weak for defending him, there are those who believe that Columbus is a saint and that I was, quote-unquote, and this is directly from a letter, a race traitor for the idea of an Italian-American day without Columbus. And uh, it ended up really, in many ways, souring me on even engaging in this conversation. So in some ways, this entire series is a bit cathartic for me. But I bring it up here not to therapize myself, but to say there are many Italian-Americans who believe, even before the debate happens in a certain city, this day should be changed to either celebrate all Italian-Americans or another specific Italian-American with, let's say, greater associations with that individual municipality. And that's why on June 30th of 2020, when I read the article entitled, If We Do Not Remove Them, Someone Else Will Do It For Us, Why Italian-Americans Need to Be Leaders in Removing Columbus Monuments by Professor Cerulli, I was interested in getting his opinion on the show. Now, I just want to make a clear distinction. I was saying that Italian-Americans should advocate for Italian-American Day if Columbus Day has already been removed somewhere. Professor Cerulli is arguing that we should be taking a proactive approach and removing Columbus Day for ourselves. But let's hear from him as to how he came to this conclusion and what he has been doing in his own community of Stanford, Connecticut. So one of the reasons why I wrote that article for the Italian Enclaves blog is because I'm leading an effort in my hometown, Stanford, Connecticut, to get our Columbus statue removed and preserved and replaced with a more positive figure. So I proposed Bruno Giordano, who is Stanford's first Italian-American mayor. So I think there's kind of two sides to it. There's definitely one side of it where it is a lot of people who lean to the more progressive and radical side, who look at things like the Silver CV, who are these radical Italian immigrants 
that arrived here in the turn of the century as like inspiration. And then I think it's just younger Italian Americans below the age of like 30, 35, who learned the kind of colonial history and not the kind of symbolic history of Columbus. So through this petition, I saw names uh, of people who, who definitely are not radical, just regular Italian Americans that I grew up with in town, who I almost never interact with in any other way. But I see these names popping up on, on, on the petition that I started, or we started as three of us. Um, so I think it's mixed. There's definitely an element where it is the more radical side of the diaspora, but it's also younger people in general. And I also think one of the things we should do as Italian Americans when thinking about Columbus, and just as critical thinkers in general, is try to kind of distinguish Columbus the symbol from Columbus the man, because those are two different things. The symbol means something to Italian Americans, and the man is someone who committed certain actions uh, during a historical moment. I'm one of those people that I think we should be critical of our history. So I think we should be critical of the, the process of him becoming a symbol and also the kind of historical character. 2017, I wrote an article for La Voce in New York where I basically sat down with Columbus, then what? And my argument was that if we don't, as Italian-Americans who, who are critical of Columbus the symbol and Columbus the man, don't offer alternatives, it, it will lead to this kind of, kind of out, this, this, this straight like outrage against any sort of change. Because the people, some Italian Americans, not all, feel that it is an attack on them as a person. And I think what, what, what I'm doing um, in Stanford, as in replacing Columbus with a more positive figure, or not me as an individual, but as the kind of group that I'm leading, um, I view it as a, a conservative position. Because, you know, if it was up to me, like the person I'm, uh, Bruno Giordano, my politics don't align with his whatsoever. My values really, besides being Italian, I don't have much in common with him. But I view it as a conservative position because it's trying a way, try, uh, as a way it's trying to keep that park's intent of a space to celebrate Italian-American contributions to the city. So I'm of the position if Italian-Americans still want to have a day in public spaces that celebrate them, and for the bias, I think we should, um, we have to change how we do that. You know, we have to change because history is static. You know, we're, we're not in the same conditions of 1910, 1905, 1896, right? We're in 2020. So how we celebrate being Italian-American has to change if you want to continue to celebrate um, being Italian-American publicly in this way. So I think Professor Cerulli represents an interesting segment of the community, one that is ready wholeheartedly to move beyond Columbus as a symbol for Italian-America. I don't agree with his assertion that it's necessarily an age group thing. I think that's a really popular misconception and an easy one to see uh, how people fall into. But if I look back at our survey results from the late 2019 survey that we took of the Italian-American community, at least from our listenership and some of the organizations that partnered with us, we got 1,600 respondents, uh, over 1,600 respondents, and it was about even in the under-35 demographic for those who found some statement of support for Columbus and those who had some statement of condemnation. It's a little bit hard to come up with the exact numbers because we allowed for multiple answers, but it was pretty evenly split there uh, in the under-35 demographic. What I will say is this is an important conversation for the community to be having and one that I wanted to highlight on the show. There is a segment of our population that is ready to celebrate their heritage in a different and more individualized way city by city. And I see a lot of people in the social media space who propose we should be celebrating Verrazzano or Mother Cabrini or in some cases Sacco and Vanzetti, all of these different names that come up that Italians want to sort of replace 
Columbus with if they feel he should be replaced. I think there's a lot of complications with all of those, too. I mean, let, let's not forget Verrazzano himself, I believe, was actually a slaveholder. Um, Zocco Vanzetti have a checkered history with a lot of people. Mother Cabrini, you're never going to hear me say a bad word about, but the point that I'm trying to make is it's complicated to swap one figure for the other. Um, one of the guests that I spoke to, Professor Jim Pencrazio, who you've heard from in other episodes, he basically talked a little bit about his desire to see an Italian-American celebration that reflected our ancestors and celebrated those humble origins that we have and all share, as opposed to any particular hero or figure. What I would advocate, and, and what I try to do with students, is, is, is kind of avoid painting history with a broad with a very broad brush. And, and I'm, I'm always very weary of creating heroes uh, or distant heroes, I think. I think I would rather see people have go back and, and study ancestry and say, wait a second, the heroes, mine, you know, for example, were the ones that really came with one suitcase and really through their hard work, eked out a living by going to work. And these are the silent heroes. And for that reason, you know, I think when I think of the only statue that I, that I really find of, kind of personal value is the one that's in front of the St. Ambrose Church in the hill in St. Louis, which is Italian immigrants, <laughs> a, a father, a mother, and a baby with one suitcase, but nameless. And uh, I, I like that. that. That's the one that I'm kind of drawn to. I, I would hope, and, and certainly that's one of the, one of the goals of, the, of my teaching, is, is, is that people reflect a little bit more about history. And, and I think some of the questions can be answered by ancestry rather than personal history, rather than big history. I, I, I would rather see us uh, spend much more time uh, recovering ancestry, um, creating a new sense of what it means to be Italian-American. And I think that that type of impulse really gives us a sense of uh, well-being that maybe makes a monument less, less important because we monumentalize our own uh, and celebrate every single day their, our, our, own, our own practices. I love how much passion Professor Pancrazio is bringing to the conversation about how we memorialize ourselves, our ancestors, the simple and humble history of our immigrant forebearers, and what they have done in this country. And for me, I think a big part of the problem here, and one of the reasons I wanted to have this episode, before we went to the episode about Columbus's defense, is because a big part of my whole approach to this topic is the unique peculiarity of the Italian-American situation around a federal holiday and all that it means and what we as a community really can and can't control when it comes to our fate around this day that has come to represent us. And when I asked Professor Connell, the expert in all things Columbus Day, what he thought we could do from the perspective of community leadership but also a legal perspective, well, he turn the situation right back on me. But I remember when uh, a certain John Viola as president of NIAF uh, in his blog said, well, you know, all these, these towns, they should, can't they just make it an Italian heritage day instead of, you know, and, uh, and I understand it. And I ask, you know, what would be the alternative? And in a way, Italian Americans are boxed in by this congressional federal holiday. I mean, to you're not going to get Congress to accept an Italian heritage day, right? <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, it's like you either have it or you don't. And therein lies the great dilemma. We either have it or we don't. 
It's a federal holiday with all of this meaning that has nothing to do with Italian-Americans and a very personal holiday with so much meaning for Italian-Americans and so much history for our community to celebrate, to get together. Man, this is a really tough one. And hopefully by having this conversation here, as we move on to future episodes, we will understand a little better when we talk about detaching ourselves from the Italian-American perspective and talking about Columbus as a hero and a holiday from the American perspective. Because in my mind, what's boiled down to one of the fundamental truths is this is not really a conversation limited to our community. The ball is not necessarily in our court. And so if we're going to be the one that has to talk about this by default, we need to widen the tent. We need to bring people in of all different backgrounds to have a conversation about not just a man or his history, but what his undeniably unique experience has meant to America, to the world, and of course to our Italian-American community. So like all of these episodes, this has been another exhausting exercise for me. I hope that it's been useful to give us a little bit of history to the holiday and why we celebrate it, and to give us a little bit of foresight into the conversations as we ultimately try to give everybody enough information to make their own decisions and draw their own conclusions about Columbus Day as Americans and as Italian-Americans. I'm going to go recharge my intellectual batteries, and we'll be back next week with more of our conversations on Columbus. So from all of us at the Italian-American Podcast, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano.